Hello, and welcome to Unstoppable Rise, a resource that helps motivated individuals take advantage of our modern world while also avoiding its many pitfalls using a combination of old school wisdom and new breed tactics to achieve these ends. My name is Sim, and today we're going to be talking about an interesting topic. So I originally intended doing only four of these audio blogs, but I ended up doing, I believe, this is number 14 now, and it's been very useful because there's obviously a lot of topics that just don't lend themselves well to the written format, and it's been really helpful to really go into depth and explain my thought process behind some of these and you just can't do that in writing. So this has been very helpful. And this has also been a good experiment to see what you guys like in terms of content delivery. And some of you guys, or a lot of you guys, have really liked this and really dig these and have appreciated the, the change up. So that's been helpful. So this is number 14 of the audio blogs. And after this one, I think I'm going to take a little break because I just want to give you guys a good amount of content to come back to and listen on various topics whenever the need arises. And also, let's be honest, summer is coming right around the corner. And obviously, that's a great time. And I'm going to be out and about quite a bit, going to be traveling quite a bit. So that's going to put a dent in my plans. But Other than that, I think this audio blog is a good one to really offer some finality for things for a little bit. Just something to really think about in terms of just adding space and color to your world. And it's something that may have slipped your conscious awareness for a time. So I always open up the show with the tagline of how someone can take advantage of this world we live in while also avoiding its many pitfalls. Why do I, why do I say that? Well, I believe the modern world holds more potential for the individual than at any other time in history ever. In your pocket right now, you have access to the collective database of human wisdom more than even the most learned scholars did thousands of years ago. The average middle-class family in America just has more luxury than some of the world's most known kings. Like someone like Louis XIV, you're probably living a better existence than he did. And something like the mortality rate is at an all-time low Babies are being born every day, and they're surviving, which, like, 70, 80 years ago, they didn't always. And in general, we're just living longer. So, obviously, we're at a population of, I believe, 7.2 or 7.8 billion, I can't remember. And um, some estimates are that we're going to be growing very rapidly within the next couple of years. But... You know, all of this stuff is progress, and in the name of progress comes 
more progress and more progress at the expense of some things that we're losing. And all these great things come with many darker sides. Mainly, they've come about because these societal advancements come with some sort of lag time to see negative effects. So positive effects are easily evident and negative ones are in the background for quite a bit. And I've told, I've touched on this in an article I wrote about internet addiction and how we're just starting to realize how the internet is reshaping human brains. And I've written about instant gratification before, obviously, and I've touched on addiction, but I've never really taken a deeper dive into it. So this is what this is going to be about. Now, I want to make it clear that I'm not a counselor or a therapist or even a recovery coach, but I think this topic is very important to be aware of if you live in the 21st century Western world. And if you have an addiction, especially a serious addiction, I would recommend getting in touch with one of these individuals. So if you're looking for therapeutic modalities and some sort of therapy, you're not going to find it here. So with that disclaimer, let's start. So I think the etymology behind words is always very interesting because the emergence of language is a construct of culture and many people coming together to create a common, a common set of words around something. And obviously, the more people agree upon a set of words or a definition of a word, that's what that definition becomes. And obviously, language is made up, but then these words are just shorthands to describe the whole encompassing experience of what that word means. So when you talk about something like joy, and you just bring up the word joy, that brings to mind a visual of everything joy encompasses just by saying that word. And when you say the word addiction, that also has many things it brings to mind. And some of these may be very well true, but some of these also may be a bit off the mark. But first, um, let's clear up the word addiction. What does addiction mean? Well, here's the definition of an addict, and I just got this straight off of Google. An addict is a person who is addicted to a particular substance, typically an illegal drug, or someone who is an enthusiastic devotee of a specific thing or activity. And the synonyms of addiction are dependency, craving, weakness, compulsion, fixation, and enslavement. And I think the main three synonyms here are dependency, fixation, and enslavement. You know, either way you spin it, that's just saying that you're in a ball and chain, you're bound by whatever is addicting you. And you feel it pulling at your conscious awareness, either bit by bit, or you feel it completely ensnared by it. So addiction is a very helpless state to be in, and it's very distressing because you know you are bound. So as I said before, there's a lot of things in our modern world that are really good, but then there's also a lot of things in our modern world that also have a high chance for addiction and developing compulsion and bad habits around them. 
And it's very hard to experience a joy when you have an addiction. It prevents you from seeing the light of grace that really comes from other human beings and just life in general. So for addiction, if there's anything you remove and it causes some sort of anxiety, withdrawal, fear, or depression, you should be aware that it could, it could very well be an addiction. And there's many differing addictions that have differing levels of severity. So some of them are, and I got this list from a medical website specialist specializing in addiction recovery, uh, social media, uh, I've obviously touched on that social media is very addicting for a lot of people, internet, and I've already talked about that drugs and alcohol. Obviously, there's many pills and potions that you can take to instantly create a mood change. And along with that would be cigarettes and smoking. Some people have a fixation just with smoking, the act of smoking. Um, and that is a whole different thing than just being addicted to something like cigarettes. Video games, a lot of people are finding themselves addicted to video games nowadays. Um, things of a sexual nature. So a lot of people have compulsions with something like pornography or some people like going to escorts. Um, and then something like gambling would be another one. A lot of people have a gambling addiction. You obviously hear of stories where people gamble their whole house away and they end up just losing their house because obviously they're gambling their entire house, which they shouldn't do. Another one would be food. So the obesity rate in America is at an all-time high because of our food supply is very, very fattening and it's very self-indulgent in my opinion. And another one would be work. So you hear about workaholics and you hear about people who have no identity outside of work and people who are just addicted to working long hours for no reason. So this list can go on and on for infinity because the psyche can create addiction around anything really. And all of these offer pits or buzzes of various kinds. Some of these are obviously more charged, highly charged than others. So you may think you want to quit one of these. You may have one of these and you think you should have willpower. So you try and quit. And then if you fail, you think you are lazy or stupid, but there's a time where some of these are just somewhat a bit beyond our control. Um, so like I said, you yourself may have one of these. In fact, uh, as an adult in modern society, it is very likely to have one of these, you know, being an addict or having like a bad, bad habit on the border of addiction is really the rule rather than the exception in modern day society. And addiction is hand in glove with something like escapism, like I mentioned in the last audio recording. In fact, I think some of these, it's more likely to have tried it than not, because obviously life can be very, very difficult. And the addict, the person who's addicted, is running away from some type of pain, whether it's real or imagined. So some people who have chronic pain issues of a physical nature, they end up becoming addicted. But then 
it's a it's a chicken and egg scenario really um you become addicted but then you have to keep taking the pain medication because you have a chronic issue so it's it's uh circular and cyclical um so a friend and i we were talking about something like addiction and he said there's a reason why you can't feel that way all the time there's the reason why the body is not supposed to feel like these intense emotions um, that really are the realm of addiction. So as someone who's had numerous behavioral addictions and bad habits in my adolescent years, I've come to understand that addiction is a spectrum. You know, I didn't really have anything too bad, but I did have things where I realized that this activity or this behavior was going to hold me back from achieving a certain thing. So addiction is not something you are or you are not. You're not just an addict or you're not an addict. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a light switch. There's varying degrees of enslavement, if you will, to addiction. On the lower end, it's just something that's a bad bad habit. Like I said, a bad habit bordering to addiction. On the other side, you know, you're literally the prisoner of addiction. Your life is dictated to a large extent by your addiction. And if you're addicted to various things, you will just have it, you'll just find it very difficult to live a productive and fulfilling life. So how do you know whether you have a bad habit or an addiction? You know, one main indicator is how many times you have said, you know what, man, this is the last time. That's it. Never again. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. So what happens? You end up going a week. Then you go a month. Maybe even go several months without this substance or behavior. But somehow you find yourself getting drawn back into the, into the fray. You find yourself getting pulled like a magnet. And you just can't quit. So this subtle pull keeps drawing you back until you end up relapsing or you're just at square one, which is obviously very distressing. So to prevent this type of self-image diminishment, some people say, you know, I'm not addicted, I just have a dependency, or I can't help it, I just have to have it. So basically, these people are trivializing addiction and downplaying their effects. And this is the misunderstanding that trips a lot of people up. Uh, A lot of people have bad habits that are on the borderline of addiction, and they let them slide because they think an addict is someone who can't function harmoniously in society. And that belief is what holds many people back from consciously examining their lives. So there's two facets of bad habits and especially addiction that are very important to understand. The first one is that addiction is progressive. So unless you stop it or attempt to stop it or attempt to reverse it, it will just slowly inch its way into every corner of your life and it will just affect your life. It doesn't do this all at once. This doesn't happen um, overnight. Obviously, the person who's an alcoholic or a drug addict didn't just take alcohol or drugs and just get like that at the flip of a switch. It was just a gradual process until they find themselves unable to quit. 
and it's just affecting their day-to-day existence, whether mentally, physically, or emotionally. Um, And that leads into the second part, is that addiction avoids easy detection in the early stages. So addiction doesn't have noticeable effects on your life until you start adding weight uh, to your life in the form of obligations. So something like addiction is very easy to live with when you're a young, single person and you're pretty much free and you pretty much have yourself to deal with. But how does this state of mind and state of being stand up to life itself? When you get fired from your job because you're consistently late or you browse the internet for hours, that's when addiction shows itself. When you get into a relationship and you can't even get it up and you can't perform because you've been watching pornography, that's when addiction shows itself. When you can't even save for a nice vacation or an emergency fund because you spend every dime and more, that's when addiction shows itself. So the consequences always come when you need them least to come. Um, So you can say you're not addicted to something. But how is it affecting you when you're under stress? That's that's a main that's a main uh, key to note. So I think addiction is multi-layered, and I want to look at this from a psychological, physiological, and emotional uh, and spiritual perspective. So first off, let's start off with physiology. What's going on physiologically? It helps to understand that our bodies are the product of millions of years of evolution. Um, society, civilization, etc., is a relatively recent invention, only coming about in the past uh, ten thousand years. Uh, so that's the agrarian revolution when we started planting things, uh, planting instead of hunting. So that came about in the past ten thousand years, which is a drop in the bucket of the entire span of time on Earth. So our bodies and our brains are designed for environments of extreme scarcity because our ancestors developed in very harsh conditions where it was pretty much kill or be killed. And because the environment was so scarce, we need to be alert to anything that may have signaled a chance to survive. And our body ended up developing a neurotransmitter called dopamine because of this. And I've written about this in an article on motivation, which I'll attach in the resources below, but I don't want to go too deep into it. Um, So most people have heard of dopamine and a lot of people think it's a pleasure chemical. It's, it's, it's not. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter for motivation. So dopamine spikes when an object of interest enters your conscious awareness. And this is called a cue. So this cue Uh, for dopamine ends up staying at an elevated level during the duration of the activity and it spikes again when you're going through the routine of that activity and it spikes again to reinforce that activity Um, this is what gives you that second wind of motivation at the end of a race or towards the end of a workout because you're about to complete the habit loop And the male brain uses dopamine in a specific way that is slightly different from females. So the male gender is pretty much designed to hunt and seek more than a woman would. So men are the hunter in the hunter-gatherer equation. 
And so dopamine is an adequate dopamine functioning is very important for men and males, especially. Uh, so you can see why dopamine is so important, especially to ancient humans. But in our modern world, we have a ton of things that really work overdrive on our dopamine system. And what this does over time is it lessens the amount of dopamine receptors in your brain, which is how dopamine is utilized. Uh, so your brain says, oh, this guy's getting pleasure all the time. I guess we don't need those extra receptors. Um, and your brain is trying to be as energy efficient as possible. So it gets rid of them. And it prunes them so the brain has less dopamine attaching. And you need more and more stimulus to satisfy you. So for me, when I found out about the dopamine receptors and how these are so crucial to well-being well and functioning and your overall physiology, it gave me a deeper insight and clarity to why I needed to greatly <clears throat> limit my time on certain things and even why I just need to just drop others, mainly because of the high likelihood of dependency and just eventually addiction. So if you look at someone who is a drug addict, uh, their brain is fried because of the massive amount of influx stimulus that they have on a daily basis. And the natural world just simply can't match the large amounts of dopamine and artif that an artificial stimulus can't provide. It, it, it just can't. So what are some things that release uh, a good amount of dopamine? Obviously, drugs are a big one, along with other chemicals. Uh, cigarettes, which isn't as bad, but still releasing dopamine. Weed, obviously, good amount of dopamine re being released. Alcohol, another spike. And opiates, which obviously is a huge, huge, huge dump. Um, anything relating to sex. So right off the bat, again, pornography. And pornography is obviously most of the entire internet, you are more likely to have seen pornography than you have not. Um, most of the internet is pornography, and obviously it releases a massive amount of dopamine because sex and reproduction is literally the body's highest priority. That's pretty much what we're here to do uh, on a physical basis. So your body prioritizes spreading its genes and DNA and anything relating to sex, and that would give a good signal that it would be able to do this is what it responds to very viscerally. And that goes for men and women. So really anything that relates to sex or food. Um, another one is validation from other human beings. So social media obviously likes comments, creates an endless feedback loop of novelty, which your brain is seeing as you're getting higher status, which means you'll be able to have greater chances to reproduce. Um, so this comes back to dopamine response. So physiologically, it's about dopamine for the most part. And I know I'm missing a few things there, but that's the main thing you want to be concerned with without it going too deep into things. So psychologically, addiction becomes part of your self-image. You think this is who you are. You don't create any sort of separation between yourself and your addiction. And this is especially true with things that you've done for long periods of time to compensate for any deficiencies in your life. So like I mentioned last time, 
This obviously arises from childhood to cope with lack of power in your world. And it just takes a momentum of its own throughout the months of the years. And this bad habit or addiction takes on its own life, which is separate from yours. And this leads into the next point, which is the spiritual and emotional side of things. So Viktor Frankl, if you haven't heard of him, go look him up. Amazing guy. Survived Auschwitz in World War II, and he wrote a book about his experience there. He said that when someone can't find a true sense of meaning, they pretty much distract themselves with pleasure. And I think that's I think that's so true, especially in modern day society. And I think we've entered this type of what I call postmodern nihilism, where tons of people and third parties have really tried to strip all kinds of meaning from life. And it subtly creeps into different areas because there's a bunch of people who say that, you know, objectively, life has no meaning. We're not here for a purpose. And they're just walking around in some sort of self-delusion that nothing they do matters. So they don't really care about the impact they have on themselves and the world. But that's a whole different discussion. But, you know, if your life has no purpose and has no meaning, why wouldn't you pop pills? Why wouldn't you surf the internet for 10 hours a day? Why wouldn't you not contribute to society in any meaningful way? If every version of life is meaningless, then there's no choices that are greater than the other. Therefore, the drug addict or someone who plays video games for 12 hours a day is the same thing as the scientist um, who's trying to find a cure for cancer or someone who's just trying to elevate the overall state of humanity. And as you can see, looking at this world uh, this way is pretty dangerous because it leads to self-delusion. So I think in order to beat any sort of addiction, especially one that is taking you for a ride and one that you've done for long periods of time, you're going to need to bring the intangible aspects of life into it. A lot of our world is focused on looking at the tangible aspects in terms of physiology and to a degree psychology. But there's a part of the spirit, the life essence of an individual that's damaged when an addiction is persisted in. And if you want to get over something deep, then that facet needs to be there. It has to be there. There is no, there is no other choice. That's why something like 12-step, if you ever heard of the 12-step process, that's why it's been effective in treating something like alcoholism because it acknowledges those intangible aspects. I don't necessarily agree with 12-step, but I do acknowledge its effectiveness in terms of helping people quit some sort of addiction. In many different cultures around the world, many years ago, people looked at addiction as some type of demonic possession. And, you know, that's a good thing. That's a good lens to look at addiction through, even if you don't know what's really going on. Because when an addict is craving their drug of choice or their substance of choice, all rational thought pretty much goes out the window. Depending on the type of craving, they can be irritated to foaming at the mouth. So they're going to that spectrum uh, I mentioned earlier. And at any point, you know, an addict does not really care about who they hurt. 
They don't care about a damaged reputation. They don't care about a damaged family life. They don't even care about the after effects on their own life. All that matters is satisfying that craving and satisfying it yesterday at whatever cost. And people said, you know, this is not logical. This is not reasonable. This has to be from some other world. He has to be possessed by a demon. And that's why people thought it was a demonic possession, because no one in their right mind would do these things, especially especially not Tim. You know, Tim's such a nice guy. He's such a great guy, such a great family guy. He loves his family, loves his wife. He, he does good work, and he's just a good figurehead in the community. But when he gets like that, you better watch out. It's like he's someone else. It's like he's possessed by someone else. And that is like looking at it from that type of lens. Even if it's not necessarily true, that's a good thing to really separate yourself from this bad habit or an addiction as something that takes you over because it just gives you a lot of space and it gives you the chance to say, that's not me. I don't do that. So like I said before, I'm not a therapist or a counselor or a recovery coach, but I do have some beliefs that I believe can help you get some awareness on a bad habit or an addiction. Um, I do think if you have a really bad addiction, again, you need to see one of these people or do some really deep work on your own. So do not take my advice as gospel. Um, So the first thing to think about in terms of addiction is what drew you there in the first place? And I know this is sort of a cop-out because a lot of people try to say, I need to examine the root cause of my addiction or my bad habit so I can transcend it and so I don't have to deal with it. And I think this is just stalling because that's what the addiction wants you to do. It wants you to dig down to the root cause and figure out why you were like this, why you're fucked up. Um, But... It doesn't want any solution. So someone like Stephen Pressfield writes about this in his book, The War of Art, in terms of talking about the resistance. So the resistance is this intangible force that really prevents you from really doing any work on yourself or work that will benefit other people. And it comes up with all these sort of excuses in the form of procrastination. So I think trying to figure out a root cause can be a source of procrastination. And it's just like, man, you just got to just got to get on with this. It doesn't really matter if you can't find the root cause. But I do feel if you can find the root cause and identify it immediately, that can help you spring some awareness. And you're like, huh, this is where this comes from. Okay, okay. So that's how you start to shed some light onto it and bring it out of the shadows. So the second one is uh, pretty much if you have a bad habit, um, even if you have an addiction, really, um, but if you have a bad habit that's on the borderline of addiction, all that needs to be done is just the amount of time in terms of waiting for this thing to fade. Because you could very well just be doing this because um, you're... It's an automatic program within your subconscious and within your brain, but you haven't really, you don't really have any reason to really do it. You just thought 
like smoking weed or doing something was fun and you want to stop it, but you, you had a good family life, you had this, that, and the other, you may have experienced some trauma, we all do, but nothing too dangerous, nothing too deep. And you're just like, I don't want to do this anymore. So you just stop doing it. And your craving will just come from the physiological craving, not some sort of emotional craving. Like I need this because, um, it's not a central part of your self image. And that is how you can also see if that is a bad habit or not. If this is something that's not a central part of your identity, then, uh, if you're not a quote unquote stoner, then, um, it's probably just a bad habit at that point, And all you need is just time away from it. So during addiction, I think, um, or during the recovery from addiction, I think it is important to really mourn for what you lost. I think a mourning phase is very important for some sort of emotional recovery and some sort of emotional healing. Because during the phases of addiction, especially some very bad addictions, you probably have alienated some people uh, friends, family, co-workers, lovers, and you probably have missed out on opportunities. And once you start to recover, this is how a lot of people relapse because they're just waking up and they're like, oh my God, my, my entire life around me has just been this entire just mess of chaos. And it's it's too much for them to deal with. So So they say, you know, I'd rather go back to the numbing pain of my substance or my behavior rather than having to deal with the fallout of my behavior. So that's something you have to do. You have to just really take it in and really think about, um, really think about what you lost, like a relationship. You may have had a really, really good girl and she's no longer with you because you just couldn't stop smoking weed, or you couldn't stop doing a certain activity that was pulling you guys apart. And when you think about that, and you think about the relationship, it can tug at your heartstrings. And um, instead of brushing it under the rug, acknowledge it, and then accept it, and then move on from it. That's how healing from addiction begins. And The fourth one is physiologically, you just need to lower your dopaminogenic baseline. So I have a theory that in terms of dopamine and dopamine utilization, we all have a set point of dopamine that we need to feel good. And this is different for people who have addictions. So obviously, like I mentioned before, your dopamine receptors downregulate and they diminish or they reappear depending on how much stimulus you are or aren't getting from your environment. So think about this. Someone in the 1800s did not have all the stimulation that we have in the modern world. So obviously they had to get their dopamine and their enjoyment and their motivation from real life and real life activities. That's the only place they could get it from. So they're very engaged with real life and they're very, um, they're very cognizant of what their actions would be in the real world because that's where they're getting their source of motivation. So now you have an entire world where you don't even have to leave the house and you don't have to interact with other people. And 
other people cannot provide the level of stimulus that you can find in an online virtual world. Um, so your dopamine in general is just being titillated by the, all that. And obviously over time, your dopamine receptors get downregulated. Um, so the key is just to lessen the amount of dopamine input that is coming to you. And this is what I talk about in monk mode. Monk mode is obviously the framework that I gave a couple of weeks ago that I think is so, so important because monk mode is the process to reset your dopamine baseline and make it so that you don't really need a lot of pleasure and stimulation from the outside world or sorry, from your internal world and you get more from the outside world. So you ha- you're, mo- you're more motivated to get out there and get out of your house and just interact with the real world, which is where the real rewards come from. Um, as a closing, uh, you know, this is something that is to be done systematically. Obviously, you did not build up a bad habit or an addiction overnight, and it is not going to disappear overnight. And you just need to be patient with yourself and try as you must to not go back and relapse because um, relapsing, obviously, it doesn't put you back at square one because you're obviously you're obviously going through the recovery process, but it does lessen, it does tighten the grip around you until the grip goes back to where it was before. And I've seen a bunch of people, too many people that I care to think about and mention that have just been lost to some sort of addiction. And, you know, it's a very scary thing. And it's very, uh, very sad because, all these people, you know, they were very important to their friends, to their family, and they just now are slave to a certain activity, a certain thing, and even some of them are dead. So that's just the end result of addiction, just pretty much death in all forms, death before you've really lived life. Um, so if you have an addiction and you have a very serious addiction, I please urge you to really get some help and really think about how this is affecting you and how this is affecting your life. Because I can pretty much guarantee you that um, if you have an addiction, it's just going to get worse without any conscious intervention. And you need to be the source of that conscious intervention because unfortunately, um, no one can help you as much as you can help yourself. So you need to just pull yourself out of whatever hole of shit that you find yourself in. And that's just, that's just what it is. It's a day by day process and we're all works in progress. No one is perfect, but, um, it's all about making that 1% progress every day. So at the end of a year or a decade, we're a whole different person. That's then that started the year or the decade. Um, So that's about it for this one, and I wish you all the best to pretty much examine your bad habits and your addictions and your compulsions. Everything that I mentioned will be in the resources below, and with that, peace and blessings, and of course, take care.